Hi, my name is DJ Trischler, and this is Process Out Loud, the podcast. It's a space where I reflect on everything that I've learned from teaching and studying during the previous week. Most of the content will refer to my experiences in the Masters of Design program, the MDES, through the School of Design at the University of Cincinnati's College of Design, Architecture, Art, and Planning, otherwise known as DAP. While there's a lot to cover in one week, I try to keep the episodes brief at about 10 minutes each. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, and welcome to the 13th installment of Process Out Loud. We're in the 13th or 14th week of the semester, which means there's only about two or three weeks left. And I have thoroughly enjoyed this process, and I'm probably going to take a break from it over winter break and pick it back up in January. But before I get too far ahead of myself, uh, let's talk about the the previous week. Last night, I had the great privilege of sitting in on some presentations from the Design for America, or DFA, group at University of Cincinnati. It's a multidisciplinary group of students, and they are tackling some wicked problems that our society is facing at the moment. And I was just so proud of the teams. Um, DFA is led by Nicole Ba, and um, she just has done a stellar job of leading her team and the teams over the past several months through the pandemic. Um, And then in particular, uh, just to call out, um, there's several students in the groups that were were from uh, the Welcome to Design course I teach. So Sarah Stevens was on a team that uh, worked on helping people vote or encouraging people to vote. And then Paige Kinsley and um, Julia Sweet were on a team that was focused on um, mental health of essential workers and how to create better support systems. And then uh, Nova Osterman was on a group that was focused on um, sustainability and how to get people to um, not only recycle, but also reduce and reuse. Um, Oftentimes the focus is on recycle. So just wanted to shout out to those students. Um, they did an excellent job last night and it was, it was so fun to watch. And, um, and I wish I was doing some of the work they were doing in my first, second or third year of, of school and college. Um, so yeah, really, 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 really bright futures ahead for these students. And I can't wait to watch them as they continue to grow. Um, what else can I talk about? I've done a, a lot of reading this week that I wanted to just mention. Uh, I've been reading a little bit about economics and better ways to measure the economy. Um, oftentimes we just look at the GDP. And um, Mariana Mazzucato, I'm probably butchering that name. Um, she's an Italian-American, American-Italian economist who's really challenging um, the GDP and how we measure things. And um, basically saying that there's projects that we need to be working on that that aren't necessarily going to to help the GDP. She often references the moon project, um, the NASA project, where that wouldn't have looked great on the balance sheets. But from that, think of all of the innovations that came. And and her big thing is that behind all of the great private innovations, there's, there's public funding. And so that's just really interesting to think about. And I've been thinking, how can I help students or help myself understand that a little bit better because I think oftentimes we think of private work, like corporate work, um, 
uh, working in companies, but not working for the government. And oftentimes the government gets a bad rap and, and maybe rightfully so in a lot of ways, but maybe there's a specific place for the government and it's in these the funding of projects and, and coalescing groups around as uh, Mariana talks about mission oriented projects. Um, also been digging back into um, what's the name of it? Paradise from Hell um, by Rebecca Solnit. I might be making the name here wrong uh, of the book, but the thing that is striking me there is that oftentimes after disasters, the people who thrive the most are those that have a network of people around them. Um, the government, you know, this is kind of getting back to what I was just saying, the government often doesn't know how to move quick enough to, to help people and corporations too, um, though they can they can move quicker often than the government. Um, there's often that the gatekeeping of, of money and cost and and um, and not everybody can be involved. But if you live in a neighborhood where everybody kind of looks out for each other, your neighborhood is probably going to be more likely to uh, thrive or maybe survive a disaster or survive tough times than than others. And so it just makes me think about how like I, I'm trying to get my neighborhood together to meet at the compost pile every Tuesday or Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And we meet for lunches on Sundays and fires. And um, in a lot of ways, I'm a prepper and just I'm not prepping by fortifying myself, but um, connecting with those around me as much as I can. Um, not only does it make my life more enjoyable now, but um, next time a pandemic comes through or next time we go on lockdown, I feel like I have I have relationships really close to me. And so um, that's a big learning and, and edification that I had this week. And then the other thing I've been thinking about is, is just how divided our country is. And a couple of articles I read that were really great were one by um, an article in the New York Times about Loretta J. Ross and her class on calling in versus calling out. And I'm still kind of new to calling out culture. I definitely feel it um, or feel the, the fear of it. And I see it too in the classroom where students don't participate often because I think they're afraid to get called out for saying the wrong thing. And I don't think a call out society is a great society because it, it really kills creativity. Um, Obviously, there's times where people need to be called out for intentionally saying wrong things. But if we're always like on the hunt for people saying the wrong thing, we're, we're going to find it. It's just a, it's a really tricky game. Um, and people make mistakes and we need to find ways to call them in, as, as Loretta J. Ross talks about. And so I'd encourage you to read that. And then there was a, a great article in Aeon or Eon um, online magazine publication talking about how people just do not respond well to being guilt-tripped or called out. Um, in fact, it's really great. Like, all, we, all we can do to be better people sometimes is spend time thinking about what we value and, um, yeah, really what we value every day. And like today, I, I just, one of my goals in life is to pay attention. So it's just really focusing on how can I pay attention today? Um, what does that mean to value attention and noticing and um, being aware? And hopefully that'll make me a little bit better of a person today. But if, if somebody were to say like, you're terrible at paying attention or you uh, don't listen well or whatever, it might actually kind of push me away versus pull me in. And so again, some things I'm thinking about as I get into uh, moving forward here, as I get into classes and things I've learned, um, tonight I'm going to be teaching Welcome to Design, 
and the focus there will be um, what's the big idea just noticing and hearing from other professors that maybe that's the challenge like what are we making common what's the big idea what's the why what are we what's the message we need to communicate um, through a poster through an interface through a logo through a whatever um, and so it's been fun to go back through my portfolio of work and find examples of communicating a big idea through interfaces, brand identities, posters, etc. And I'm really hoping that that'll come through tonight in lecture. Um, in typography, big aha moment was learning about something I wish I would have learned about 10 years ago. It's even kind of hard to explain now, but it's called typographic color. And I got this from a book called Design Elements. And um, essentially, it's like looking at the page, a flat page, and it's not color as in like red, green, blue, whatever, but more tonal um, and the darkness of text, the texture of the text. And if you look at a page, you can almost see that there's space and depth. And so let's say there's a really big text, um, say 100 point bold with a, some nice uh, tracking of a headline. That's, that's closer to you than say uh, a set of body copy that is um, I don't know, 24 point and not bold, different weight, and letting is tight, that's going to feel further away. And so the thing you're going to see first is the big color, the big black. And then you're going to see next the, the lighter black, the gray, or whatever the texture in the background. And so it's helpful for me to have that language as I teach because hierarchy is a big thing in communication. So what do you see first? What do you see second? What do you see third? And how does somebody see those things? And what's competing for attention? And so rather than just saying like, that's good, that's bad. Now I have this language of, well, your typographic color's off and you could better uh, activate the space or create more depth by doing X, Y, Z. So that's type. Um, in design strategy, really enjoying the progress on this, this big question of how do we create more proximity between people who are not homeless and people who are experiencing homelessness. And um, we've done some really great scenarios this week, I drew up some sketches and then I took it to a student. My teammates took it to other people to get feedback. And we're still in that kind of testing our ideation and really ideation process. And then next week, we'll present a strategy um, for how to um, create that proximity. But learning that what this is, is a, a tool for teachers that they could, any class, really interject this framework that we're developing to kind of get people to pay attention to people experiencing homelessness and slowly but surely bring them closer to those people because we don't want to start them off in the deep end. We want something that you kind of give them breadcrumbs that they want more, more, more as they go along. Um, some things that we're still trying to resolve is like how do you build an incentive? Um, something we thought about there was maybe this is like course credits or you get volunteer hours for going through the process or perhaps um, even like some sort of gallery at the end of the, the, the project. Um, maybe that doesn't make sense in this context, but uh, yeah, I hope to share this later on um, as I wrap up the semester. And then last but not least, my design issues class where I'm working on the Department of Automobile Housing. That's really been a lot of fun, but also hard to like research is kind of like, you know what you're doing and you have no idea what you're doing. You know what you're doing, you have no idea. And so I recently bought the URL uh, www.damh.us. Go check it out. There's a survey there, which the intention of the survey is to kind of like frame 
living in your vehicle is something that's actually really hard. And um, something, though, that the people that I see that are living in their vehicles, especially the folks uh, in Bob Wells's category or community, like there's things that they're doing that we should really embrace and bring to home life um, in a house. And so I'm writing up kind of a, a set of values that I think encompass this group, uh, especially Bob Wells's group. And then asking at the end, like, well, if you don't think you can live in a car or vehicle, how can you bring those values home today so that others don't, so you might not have to be forced into that choice. And maybe we could create a society where others aren't forced into that choice. And so, I, yeah, I'm just really enjoying the project. I don't know where it's going to go exactly, but I could see both this, the homeless project, um, and a lot of the other work I've done this semester leading into thesis areas and into the economics. I'm really, I guess, centered on systems and society and um, going back and forth between whether or not I need to be taking sociology courses or anthropology courses. I found, though, that uh, there's an anthropologist of economies, which made me think that like, there's a way that um, anthropology, which I, I, I think I gravitate more than sociology, could still be structural. Um, so. Yeah, I, I always ask you all if, if you're listening to reach out if you have any feedback or questions or you want to grab tea or coffee. I'd love to hear from you. Um, if anything, maybe it's just me listening to myself, going back and looking at the tags and learning what I've learned over the past semester. But yeah, if you're out there in radio land, please reach out. Um, I'd love to hear from you if you have feedback or reactions to what I'm sharing. All right. With that, I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you soon.